Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All that was running through my head was that something bad has happened and I needed to get up and get away. So that's when I used the last bit of adrenaline that I had left in my body and somehow got up on two broken legs and just kept walking because in my head obviously it was like that's there's danger so I need to get away I don't know whether what has just happened is gonna happen again or if there's more of these or whatever so I kept walking looked down at my arm and it was basically hanging off of my body welcome back to the Andy Rowe show on May 22nd, 2017, Freya Lewis and her best friend Nell Jones made their way to Manchester Arena for the concert of their dreams. However, a suicide bomber would turn their dreams into a nightmare. This is the story of horror, healing, but ultimately a level of community and celebrity kindness that will warm your soul. I hope you enjoy the episode. You know I read a lot of books for this podcast. One particular book I read talked about nutrition and making sure that the first thing you put into your body when you wake up is packed full of nutrients. So we've brought on Athletic Greens who are helping bring you Season 3 of The Andy Rowe Show. And you can get yourself some by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy. The link is in the synopsis for this episode. And I've actually started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens. One scoop of it contains 75 vitamins, minerals, superfoods, and probiotics designed to efficiently absorb into your body. I was taking a multivitamin and a probiotic, but I've stopped. and just take AG1 every morning when I get up. This stuff has everything that I need. And I travel a lot with work as well. So AG1 is perfect for making sure that I'm still healthy when my routine is all over the shop. Honestly... My energy levels have gone through the roof and I feel like I'm thinking a lot clearer now as well. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Freya, Lewis, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's all right. So we're going to work our way up to the concert and what happened Mm -hmm. and your recovery, Mm because that's such a big part of your story. But I'd like to find out about you, obviously, beforehand. And so you grew up in Manchester, right? Yeah, about 35 minutes out from Manchester. Right, we're about to say uh, in Cheshire, Cheshire, Holmes Chapel, it's a really small village. Isn't it really nice out there? It's like really green and... I think it is. 
It's very like picturesque. Yeah, it's yeah. A little cute village. And and where you went to school? Tell me about where you went to school. So I went to Home Chapel Comprehensive School. Right. It was literally basically out the door of my house. Uh, it was right next door. So you got to wake up late, get to school early, kind of roll thing. out of bed and just quickly walk along. Yeah. Was that the school um, that Harry Styles went to? It was the school that Harry Styles went to. Really? Did you know him at school? No, he's eight years older than me. Ah. Uh. So unfortunately. I did not know when he was at school, but my older cousin knew him. He was a year below. In Holmes Chapel, everyone has a connection to him somehow. Right. It's quite weird, but uh, unfortunately I didn't know him. I must have brought, bought bread off of him at some point in the bakery where he worked. One million percent. Can you imagine that? But I just didn't know because I was like a little eight-year-old and he was yeah. 16. So yeah. Yeah. And your best friend at school, mm-hmm. Nell. Tell me about Nell. So I met Nell on the first day of year seven. We were in all of the same classes together. There was not a way that we weren't going to be friends because we were forced to spend so much time together (laughs) straight away. But she was literally like my mother at school, which was weird because she was younger than me. And we met when we were literally 11. She was just the best person in the entire world. She was so intelligent. Um, She was so funny. She basically looked after me, um, which is something that I think my mum was always grateful for because she always worried about me, but I always had now. And you guys went to loads of concerts and things together, didn't you? We didn't go to the um, actual concert. was Nell's first one. Okay. But I went to about six million growing up. Really? It was a big thing in my family, like concerts. Can you remember your first? My first concert was Miley Cyrus. Oh, what an intro. Yeah. Was mm-hmm. this before her racy stage or this after? was yeah, this was before. This was just coming off of Hannah Montana. I think I was six. I went with my parents and my sister. And that was at Manchester Arena as well. That started the obsession of concerts. And then you got obsessed with of course Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. I loved her from watching Victorious when I was growing up, which was a big thing from my childhood. And then when she actually went into a full-on singing career, I did really start to like her a lot. I went and saw her 2014 with my mum and my sister in Manchester Arena. Then I was a big fan of her. One Direction was always my top. <laughs> but then there was Ariana. But Nell was the biggest Ariana Grande fan that really? I knew. That and Ed Sheeran, she was obsessed with. So there was no other person that I could think of taking. Oh, and how pumped were you when you got tickets? Oh. Uh, A lot, but it took a lot for me to keep it a secret because I got the tickets for Christmas in December and I decided I was going to tell her on her birthday, which was in April. So that was a whole four months of a very excited 14-year-old to keep that secret. That was a big deal for me, but I managed to and I told her at school um, and she screamed. Oh. Yeah. And then the day, I mean, the the day of the concert, you guys must have been absolutely fizzing Mm -hmm. it was like a dream it was the first concert that I got to go to alone without my parents which felt really cool (laughs) and really grown up so the whole day was spent doing no work whatsoever I apologized to all my teachers for that day didn't do anything just spoke about getting ready and what songs we'd learned because it's a big thing especially for me and I drilled it into Nell that if you're gonna go to a concert you have to know all the lyrics It's right though. Like I have, I'm not big on remembering lyrics. Mm -hmm. And so I've been exposed at quite a few concerts. Like I must have been to the Foo Fighters five, six times. Mm -hmm. And it took me until about the third one to realise 
everyone around me is absolutely ripping into these lyrics yeah. and belting out these mm-hmm. tunes. And I just look like a dick. Yes. Like, I'm just like bopping my head. It's the worst thing as well when you just try and mumble some random words to look like you know it, but it still doesn't go. You can do that kind of mm-hmm. when you're in the mosh pit and you can just be like, hey, yeah. like put your arm up in the air. But if you're, yeah. In an Ariana Grande concert, there's no mosh pit. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. You do. You, you need to know the lyrics. Yeah. So that's what we did do. And then she'd stress me out if she knew one. I was like, oh, I forgot that verse. How embarrassing. When we were however many thousands of seats up, it wasn't like Ariana was going to point us out and be like, hey, you two, get out. You didn't know the lyrics to that song. It makes it so much more fun if you know the lyrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so your dad dropped you off, didn't he? He did, yeah. He was doing the usual dag thing of like cracking jokes the whole way. My dad's a big... Like, he really wants to get to know my friend's type dad and he wants to come off really cool and funny and things, which I didn't think he did, but for some reason Nels seemed to, like, find him hilarious. <laughs> it's um, the same with all dads, though. Like, everyone thinks my old man's funny, but mm-hmm. he is so cringe. Yeah. So painful and so mm-hmm. embarrassing. Like, oh, my God. But it's, everyone's like that. Yeah. There's an Ariana Grande song called Every Day, and we were listening to that. Well, we listened to the whole track list and the whole set list before we actually went to the concert in the car with my dad. Especially back then when I was 14, I wouldn't have dared like swear in front of my dad. Well, not even because he would be angry at me because he swears more than anyone I know, but it was just not a thing that you did at like 14. And in that song, Every day, like Ariana says the word shit about 70 times. So my dad thought it was hilarious for us all to sing the song and all my dad did was just add in the shit every single time he would say it which Nell thought was literally the funniest thing that she'd ever witnessed but yeah that's what type of dad he was oh and then you get to the venue Mm -hmm. talk me through what happens when you arrive first thing that happens is I go the wrong way when we get out the car and my dad's with his head on the wheel Nell knew the way to the arena when she'd never been before and I'd been there growing up. That's how my parents worried about me because I had no common sense whatsoever. She also, my parents trusted her holding the tickets over me. (laughs) That really showed the mother-daughter relationship. We went and queued about 20 minutes for merch because you have to get merch. It's also another rule of concerts. I've never left one without getting merch. We went to our seats. The support act was incredible. We listened to her. And we just kind of, we were there about an hour before Ariana came on. So we had a lot of just kind of the typical early teenage girl talk type things. I can remember she asked, I don't even know if this is a thing that people at 14 do now or whatever thing, but it's like, Ask me about different boys in our class and then I'll rate them on a scale of one to ten, whatever. So oh, just, guys do that. But like, well, yeah, guys do that when they're younger. Yeah, when they're younger. To just yeah. go through. I wasn't cool enough to do it, but she loved being like, she loved, she was definitely the more grown up one and she loved being seen as that. So I think she loved the idea that I was thinking she was so cool and so much older than me when I was just like, ah. Oh, rate this boy as well. And she'd be like, I don't know, in terms of looks. And I'll be like, ah, this is hilarious. <laughs> just finding, but th- I literally just remember that just being so much fun. And me thinking, why is it just, why am I having the best time of my life? Literally just having a stupid conversation with her. But that's what type of person she was. I could literally talk to her about anything and she'd make sure I had the best day ever. It was always like that. But yeah, we were just excited on pure adrenaline, occasional screams. 
the typical best day of your life yeah one million percent even before she came on i was like this is going to be the best day of my life best concert best everything did ariana she came on didn't she yeah was it the best day of your life at that point yeah i remember thinking i'd never been previously to a concert where i hadn't sat down because when i was younger you don't want to go straight into the pit standing up for hours and hours because i wouldn't have had the patience to do that when i was younger so i time you run time you run yeah yeah i always had seats so like i always had the option to sit down which when the artist would come on i'd stand up and do whatever and stand up for my favorite songs but then i'd sit down so i'd be like i'm not standing up for like a whole hour and a half concert but i quickly realized the second she came on and we both like shot up i was like yeah i'm not sitting down and that was because I didn't have a choice if I went to sit down I think she would have slapped me so (laughs) she was so excited like I remember thinking this thing's unhealthy how much she was screaming and the second she saw Ariana and turned to me was like that's Ariana Grande I was like I know and she was literally tearing up and I was like okay this this is what a concert because obviously I've been to concerts growing up with my family all the time but it's a completely different experience going with a friend. And I realized that that, that was going to be the night that I had the best memories with her. Because I already knew, because we were close anyway. But I think screaming the lyrics of your favorite artist together is a real bonding experience. Yeah. So it was just lovely seeing her in her element and the happiest she'd ever been, really. Then what happened? We were going to leave early because my dad was picking us up and we have a... We've always had kind of a thing that we left five minutes earlier because my dad's the classic, we need to get to the car park and we need to get out and we need to get home. Need to beat the rush. Yeah, because yeah. especially when Manchester Arena is like 40 minutes, 45 minutes away from my house, it would always be like, we need to get home. And especially, it was a Monday night. It was a school night. Yeah. So we had the instructions from my dad to leave about five minutes early. So during Ariana's last song... We kind of screamed half of it and then I kind of eventually dragged her away and we went out. I again got lost on the way out. No sense of direction. (laughs) All my dad said was to meet him over the bridge past the foyer next to the train station. So I still didn't know where that was. I was stood there going, "Um, yeah, I've been here millions of times. Uh, It's this way. And then Nell just went, well, there's a sign that way to the foyer. Come this way. And I was like, she'll lead me. (laughs) She just knows. We went, she had a drink. She went to put that in the bin. She told me she'd be back in a second. And then got out my phone to text my dad. And I said, on our way with two kisses. And as I was doing that, I briefly saw someone in the center of the foyer who I thought looked a bit strange, but I didn't really think anything of it. Why'd they look strange? He was just stood in the middle of the foyer, really just not, just motionless, not moving. Like a Um, weird dude just standing in the middle of the foyer, just Mm -hmm. not doing anything. But when I say it was a quick glance, it was literally just a fraction that I just happened to look up and scan the room. And I didn't even think twice. Mm. Then she came back and I asked her whether she was ready. And she said, yep. So we went walking in his direction out of the foyer to go towards the bridge. She turned to me and was like, that was the best night of my entire life. And it just, the pride that I felt that I'd managed to make her feel that way was insane so I was like I love you so much and she said I love you too and then I pressed send to the text on my dad and that's literally the exact moment where everything went wrong 
what did you think happened? All I remember kind of, I think I must have been unconscious for 10 seconds. So it wasn't long, but all I remember is seeing like a bright flash and then suddenly kind of waking up on the floor. So I never actually knew what properly happened until my parents explained it in hospital. All that was running through my head was that something bad has happened and I needed to get up and get away. So that's when I used the last bit of adrenaline that I had left in my body and somehow got up on two broken legs. Two broken legs. You got up. Yeah. And kind of just kept walking because in my head, obviously, it was like, that's there's danger, so I need to get away. So obviously in my head, it was like, I don't know whether what has just happened is going to happen again or if there's more of these or whatever. So I kept walking, looked down at my arm and because I felt basically a weight kind of pulling me down and I looked down at my arm and it was basically hanging off of my body in a just horrendous way that still doesn't make sense to me now. I kept walking and then I found Kim and Phil, who were a couple who were stood there in shock, but they were the people closest to me. As soon as I made eye contact with them, I fell into the arms of Kim and she just kind of had no choice but to look after me. But still, when I think back to it now, still, I, it just doesn't feel real. And people always say that, but genuinely, none of it felt real. Even at the time, I kept saying, this is a dream, this isn't real. 10 seconds ago, everything was fine. How can it be flipped so easily and so quickly? It's such a massive contrast. Mm -hmm. And the way you tell the story, you can feel that. Like, you've literally had one of the best nights or the best night of your life Mm -hmm. and the worst night of your life. It's like, how the fuck does that happen? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen. It never happens. Coming from the tiniest village in Cheshire where nothing bad ever happens at all to that was insane because you just you obviously obviously you never get prepared for in your life of something like this is going to happen at some point and especially at 14 you just don't expect it you hear things about it on the news and things but I didn't really listen to the news or watch it or anything when I was 14. If we go back to where you were as far as like you'd fallen into the arms of Kim and Mm -hmm. Phil what do they do with you? Because I imagine you're not the only one that's injured here. No, hundreds. Hundreds of people are injured. There's people that have died. There's Mm -hmm. it's a bomb has literally exploded. Yeah. What do they do? Like what? What what do they do with you? Their daughter was at the concert. So they'd come to pick up. They'd come to pick up their daughter. Their initial complete shock was just focused on where is our daughter, which is completely Mm. understandable yet they still somehow managed to put focus into me. I, When I just fell into the arms of Kim, I literally just lay with her. And Phil was an ex-soldier. He must have had some sort of first aid training because mm. he just straight away took off his jacket, pressed it to the wound on my arm to stop the bleeding. Probably like the best person to be around in that yeah, situation. Yeah, it was almost, it was complete fate that yeah. it happened to be them. Phil would be used to battle zones and things. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, even if you get a normal paramedic or whatever that, I'm not saying that they wouldn't know what to do, but yeah. they wouldn't have been in a war zone like this. Exactly. And it was a war zone. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of 
crying, confusion. Um, my vision was extremely blurred, but all I can remember is just people kind of constantly running back and forth and going past. It genuinely will be something that I can never quite fully describe mm. because in my head it still wasn't, that wasn't me, that wasn't real. Yeah. So then they put they put you on a table, didn't they? Yeah, there was a merch table nearby. Yeah. Where like all the t-shirts and things were. So they just kind of shoved that off and made like a little makeshift stretcher and moved me onto that, which I protested to a lot because I knew that the slightest movement of my arm, of anything, that made. Because when I was lying with Kim, my body was obviously in complete shock because it wasn't just like one wound or one broken bone it was everything and because of the shock of what was going on I was just completely numb until Kim would move slightly beneath me and my arm would move and the second my arm would move an inch then pain shot completely right through me and I just remember screaming and was just in pain and the thought of them moving me onto that table and having to move my arm I just remember thinking I can't do that that's not going to be able to happen because my arm literally felt like it was about to come off they somehow managed to put me on there um, and took me down the stairs into the station where they again stayed with me until I eventually told them the number of my home phone and they rang home. Uh, my mum answered and my mum gave my dad Phil's number. They reunited with, with my dad about an hour later. So your dad arrives, he <laughs> walks into the arena mm -hmm. into the foyer where it happened yeah and he sees where a blast has gone off mm -hmm. he sees that there's been a bomb body parts mm -hmm. strung up like all over the place and then he finds you yeah can you remember him finding you can you remember him coming up to you or what's his recollection just remember hearing his voice i think he said thank you to phil i just remember hearing his voice and I feel like no matter how old I get, if your parents are there, then everything's going to be okay. So I remember hearing my dad and then he looked at me and he kept it brief, but the look on his face kind of alerted to me to how, it alerted me how badly injured I was mm. because he obviously didn't want to come over and be in complete utter shock and because if he panicked, then he knew that I would panic. But you could see the look of, absolute terror in his eye of I cannot even imagine myself looking at my daughter in that way but he was great and he kept it together somehow we'll never understand how but yeah he didn't leave my side stayed there and one thing that I always remember is I remember I tried to turn my face away from him because in my head I didn't want my dad to see me like that because I knew how much that was breaking him inside and I because in my head that's the moment that I thought this is it this is where I'm gonna die and I don't want my dad here seeing this because I don't want that to be the last memory they had of me so I definitely remember feeling like I'm so glad that he's here but at the same time I was even thinking at that moment I don't want him to have these memories of me and this night and whatever he was amazing and kept me awake and breathing. And every time I closed my eyes, he wouldn't let me, but stayed with me up until we went onto the ambulance. But that was about two and a half hours after. Wow. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about this, you getting emotional because you don't, 
I, I mean, I feel like I'm getting more emotional than you are. See, this is where it seems I sometimes think, am I a psychopath? I think it's because I've written about it and I've talked about it so many times, but then it suddenly hits me at different points. Like, that is the first time that I've actually come to terms right now with the fact that I didn't want him to see me like that. That's the first time that I've ever processed that out loud. I think it still just doesn't feel real, and that's why... But I can get upset about the slightest thing that isn't even Mm. that, so I'm not a psychopath. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) I could literally be having the most normal day and then just start crying, and I can't even explain why. But, yeah, saying that out loud is very weird. Man, what you're saying, though, is... For you to have the presence of mind to be thinking like that, because it's right, you you wouldn't like you you wouldn't want your dad to see you like that, and your dad mm. would his heart would have been broken mm-hmm. seeing you like that, and yeah. for you to have the intuition at that point in time where you think you're dying mm-hmm. to turn your head away so you don't see him, just that's mind blowing. Like how I would be encased in a like and a thought process of me, 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 me at that point. I wouldn't have been given a shit about what, how someone saw me. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, I feel like I feel. And that's it. I'd be so self-centered at that point. And I think most people would. For you to have that presence of mind to think about your dad is crazy. I can't wrap my head around that. When you get into the ambulance, mm-hmm. what do they give you at this point? Because you start singing. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually, I'm pretty sure that was before the morphine. Like I said, in my head, I was completely sure that they were the last few seconds of my life and that was it. So I thought, first of all, about, you know, the whole go to your happy place type thing. Mm. I thought, where was the place where I was the happiest person in the world? And that is going to Disney when I was growing up in Florida with my family. Our favourite thing would be going in our rental car, stopping at a Dunkin' Donuts and getting a donut on the way to going to Disney in the mornings. So it was literally kind of like you see in the films of you close your eyes and you have a vision. You know, you can be back there and I could could smell my dad's coffee. I could smell everything. Like literally the wind of... There's basically... There's a big bend before you go to Magic Kingdom and Disney in the car and my dad used to always like speed round it. We'd all scream like we're on like a mini roller coaster before we got there. So I thought about that because in my head as well, that was way of because my parents and my sister were the most important thing in the world to me. So I remember trying to tell my dad, tell mom and George that I loved them because I almost felt bad that my dad was here seeing me like this and I didn't get a chance to say to my mum and my sister that I did. Well, that when I left the house, I told them that I loved them before the concert. So I replayed that in my mind, of at least I've told them that. And then I thought also what makes me the happiest person in the world is Harry Styles, which is really stupid. But it was so I started trying to sing the lyrics of Sign of the Times, which came out about a month before. Great song. The best song in the entire world. So I kept trying to sing that and my dad was looking at me kind of confused <laughs> thinking yeah the morphine's probably here now and I was like that was the I'm sh- I'm trying to be happy and zone out which is something that I explained to him 
many weeks after of that's what I was doing because he didn't quite understand. And then I finally, because what I was asking my dad the whole entire night was, can I shut my eyes now? Because obviously the overwhelming feeling to just pass out was there every single second, but no one would let me. And it was actually really pissing me off because every single time I went to shut my eyes, my dad would be like, no, don't stay with me, whatever. The guy driving the ambulance told my dad to sit down and put his seatbelt on. And I think my dad said, like, are you fucking serious or something? And then the guy was like, fair enough. (laughs) Stay with your daughter. (laughs) He stayed with me. But then I looked at him after I did my little weird singing thing and was like, can I shut my eyes now? Because I just need to go to sleep. And he asked the paramedic and they said yes. And then that was it. And I just finally shut my eyes. And I remember thinking that that was going to be my last moment. Eventually, obviously, you wake up. You're in hospital. Yeah. Do you remember waking up? What did you see? I actually heard before I woke up. So I didn't know, but I'd been in a coma for five days, five, six days. The first thing that I did was hear. So I always wondered if this was true before I actually was in a coma, and now it feels actually cool that I could confirm this. You know how people say that your hearing is the last thing to go Mm. when you're in a coma? That was definitely true because there were parts that so when I officially was brought back around there were moments where they tried to bring me around a couple days in but couldn't because I was completely out of it the first time they tried to wake me up two days in I had a weird premonition type thing and I saw my parents next to me and absolute fear came over and I said don't go to the concert you can't you can't go please don't go you said that. Yeah, to my parents. And they were like, no, 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 frame, trying to calm me down. But I was sure that I'd seen some weird future thing of that was going to happen to my parents. So oh. I was begging them not to go. And I got very hysterical in, in a state. So they put me back asleep because they realized that that wasn't the time to wake me up. But the first time I officially got woken up was I heard just like a female voice talking about how she's not going to be able to fit into a wedding dress or something I was like what so I woke up and my dad was talking to a nurse on intensive care and this nurse was called Beth and she's still a family friend to this day and she was getting married in a couple months and strangers throughout Manchester had bought thousands and thousands of food and things for all the staff at the hospital and all the families that were affected and stuff so the nurses got all this free food so she was talking to my dad about not being able to fit into a wedding dress and Ah. so that is the first thing that I remember hearing I was like what's going on but then I saw my dad and I was thinking ah then I remember looking at my dad and my dad looked over at me and just kind of speaking to me normally and I was like this is weird no one's addressing any facts of this feels odd and then I started thinking about how I actually felt and realized that I couldn't feel basically any part of my body then literally just suddenly hit of something went wrong where was I was pretty sure I was at a concert and then it literally all the memories just started hitting at once and then all I remember seeing was a pink top and I couldn't figure out why I was seeing a pink top I was trying so hard to remember I think my dad was trying to speak to me at this point but I literally blocked everything out and was like no 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 I need to think of what has happened and Nell was wearing a pink top So all I could see in my head was what she was wearing. And then almost like kind of like an image 
zooming out, I then saw Nell of that's who I was thinking of. So then I straight away looked at my dad and thought, well, something's wrong with me, but I was there with somebody else. So the first thing I asked him was, where's Nell? And the way he looked at me, I think I mentioned this in the book, that the only, my grandparents died about a year and a year and a half before. My dad was the one that told me that my granddad had passed away. And I remember him looking at me before he told me and my sister. And I knew straight away that it was the same look of just that I knew before he said it, as soon as I said words, Nell, he looked at me and I knew instantly and I was thinking, no, 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 that can't. But then he said the words, Frey and Nell's died. And I just closed my eyes and was saying to myself, what, I can't even explain that emotion. Screw all the pain, all anything, all 7,000 broken bones, bleeding out, whatever. The worst pain ever was hearing that she died because even early on from then in that moment, I thought I was the one that brought her there. I was the one that caused this and this doesn't make sense. If I'm here, how come she's not? She was standing right with me. That doesn't make any sense. So all I could do to shut it out was just close my eyes again until kind of everything just went completely numb and then, yeah, just all black. How do you feel about it now? I hope in my life that feeling will fade at some point, but even now, five years on, even if I... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'll look at it logically and be like, obviously, I was not the one who did it. Yet, no matter how many people tell me it's not my fault, no matter whatever, I still think it is, which is a really hard thing to live with. I think it's just, it's something that I can never wrap my head around and it's something that I'll, no matter how much I thought she had the best time of her life and I wasn't the one who did it and it wasn't my fault, I am... Um, such a person that always thinks, well, if I didn't, if I left at a second earlier or a second later, then we wouldn't have been in that situation. But I do have incredible family and friends who remind me that I cannot change what has happened. And the sensible Freya does always look at myself and goes, you cannot blame yourself for that. Um, mm. And I always think, no, I don't. And I tell people, people ask, like, do you blame yourself? I go, no, I don't. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah. 
but hopefully that is something that will become easier with time and I'll change the way I feel about that and I've recently as in a month ago just started having therapy my first therapy session and all he said to me was it wasn't your fault in the first session and I was thinking wow hearing that from a professional is really hitting home so I hope and I'm just praying that hopefully that will continue um, and I'll kind of get the help that I need because I'm not ashamed to admit it. I don't blame myself as much as I did back then in the early days which shows that I am healing and I am getting better but um yeah <clears throat> sorry I'll just <laughs> sorry that was a lot of shit to just throw at you right no now. I asked for it and <laughs> I think that what you said is you know there's so many things to pick out of that because obviously people have told you it's not your fault because anyone can see that it's not your yeah. fault but obviously you look back and you think I made some decisions that led up to that point but if you didn't know like if you look back on Freya back at that point not knowing that there was a bomb that's going off mm -hmm. and everything that you've said in this interview also leading up to that that it was her, the best day of her life yeah. and it was the best day of your life mm -hmm. and every single thing that you did leading up to that point was leading up to the best day of your life now if you told me that I could have the best day of my life if I did this, this, and this, and this, mm -hmm. I would do that every single time. You're always going to have those thoughts, aren't you? Like, what if I did this, or what if I did that? And everyone yeah. has those thoughts about everything. Yeah. But the reality is, like, if someone says to you, you can have the best day of your life if you do this, this, and this, you're going to do this, this, and this, mm -hmm. because you fucking want to have the best day of your life. I anyone that's listening to this right now is obviously just sitting there and just will want, be wanting to just give you a hug and say it's not your fault. And it's like, it's not. And you, you don't need me to say that. Like obviously so many people have told you that in the past. Like obviously the therapist has hit the nail on the head and everyone can see it's not your fault. The stuff that you have to deal with mm -hmm. is so intense and so beyond anyone else's comprehension because you went through it. And... So it's very easy for us to say, this is how you should feel, this is how you should think. Mm -hmm. But it's like such a process that you have to go through. Yeah. Because we all make decisions in our life that we wish we fucking hadn't. <laughs> like it's part of growing up. But yeah. you made a, like what seems on the surface is the coolest decision ever. Mm -hmm. It's just some other motherfucker was there to ruin it. Yeah. I don't know. Did I make any sense? That made complete sense. It was a mini, mini therapy session that worked. <laughs> you didn't manage to go to her funeral either. That was that would have been tough. That was really tough. Yeah, I was still in. I think I was on the uh, last week of when I was in hospital. But yeah, I couldn't go to a funeral. But my parents went, and my incredible sister did, and she was kind enough to read out a eulogy yeah eulogy yeah mm -hmm. yeah at her funeral for me i told her what words i wanted to say and georgia who was terrified to do a class presentation she would not have got up and spoken at anything decided that she would do that for me in front of thousands of people at a huge funeral to speak about that subject and to say them words on behalf of me and she delivered it so perfectly was something that I will always owe her for for the rest of my life. 
and you mentioned how many people were there because at, the, at that point, well, before that, as mm. soon as the bomb goes off, this thing is worldwide. This is a news all over the world. You are at the centre of the biggest news story at that time. There must have been press hounding your family as well. Yeah. I feel like it always sounds weird when we say that we've had such awful experiences with press because like, we're not celebrities. You don't expect that to be such a big thing, but because it was, like you said, such a global thing, the the worst of the press actually was not even me. It was towards my family, which makes me the most angry, as you can tell, quite mm. protective. So, like, there was literally even times that my sister would be home a lot because my parents were obviously at the hospital and she'd be still trying to do her fucking A-levels. There'd literally be news reporters banging on the door. Like, banging on the door of your house? Yeah, all Shit. down the drive. And my sister was 17 and there was people trying to ask her questions through my front door and wouldn't leave her alone to the fact where, obviously, I said my high school was 150 yards from my house, but my sister would have to get someone to come like a scorer or she'd have to run because she felt unsafe that she was gonna get harassed at any point. Apparently, somebody took a picture of me on the night in the foyer somewhere. Somebody had a picture and it was published in the sun the next morning, but my family found out about it and I think it was my godmother somehow contacted the sun and got it taken down. So. That is how brutal press things are, that they would take a picture mm. of all them people like that and post it. On the actual night when my dad didn't know where I was for like an hour, my dad was basically in the middle of the streets in Manchester, crying, thinking that his daughter had died. And a guy on a motorbike asked him, is he okay? And my dad said no and tried to explain the situation. And he looked up and the guy had a camera in his face. That is the insane level that they will go to. That's, yeah, my dad was in um, a cafe near the hospital at some point getting a coffee and a guy was behind my dad and started to create really casual conversation with him. My dad won't talk to anyone, so he did. And he started asking him, like, oh, you you look rough, mate. My dad was saying that he was basically sleeping on the floor of a hospital because he was explaining what had happened to me and stuff like that. And... Turns out the guy was recording him with a thing next to him, following him, stood in the line of a random cafe, trying to interview him. I've never understood people's reaction of something horrendous has happened, we're in danger, let's whack out our phones and start videoing it. Because the amount of like footage that really I can't watch and makes me upset, like if I've done interviews before and they play, or like on news segments, they play videos that people have talked of people running out of the arena and screaming and all that. And I think, who is that person that has stood there and thought, I'm going to take a video of this to potentially get a lot of views or Mm. to put on the news or whatever, and I'll do that over my own safety. Never understood it. So, yeah, the press have always been something that we have not been the biggest fan of. But that was in the early days, and luckily, since 2017, I have met wonderful people who have done it in the right way. I think there's two types of press. Mm-hmm. There's the, the press that will go after the the scandalous stuff that's here and out. And they, the ones that know if they can get a snapshot of a celebrity or if they can get a snapshot of some bad shit happening, then mm-hmm. they can sell that. Or like if they can get a scoop 
they can sell that. Yeah. And I think there's other press that are out there that, you know, they're not all doing the same kind of stories. And I think the worst of them you would have got to see firsthand. Didn't your dad say something to Prince Charles? What happened Oh, there? God, yeah. Oh, that's... My first outing of the hospital before I got discharged, in Manchester Town Hall, I met Camilla and Charles. As you do. Casually. Yeah. And... What was embarrassing? At one point, he mentioned Diana to Camilla. Oh, God. And that was the first thing that I thought, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting killed. That's us getting arrested or something. What did he say? I don't even know. I cannot tell you how that man managed to bring that into conversation. But I just remember me and my mom being like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. We need to not associate ourselves with him anymore. I can't remember what he's... He was talking about how bad the press were. And Camilla was saying, oh, yeah, they're awful. And my dad was like, well, yeah, if you just look at the situation with Diana. And that's when I kind of just stopped like eating the Kit Kat that they gave me and was just like, oh. And then when Charles came through, my dad again started talking about the press to Charles. And I was thinking, dear God, do not mention Diana. He didn't. So I thought, oh, thank God. But then he decided to say, I don't know what is worse, the press or ISIS. And he decided to say that to Prince Charles. Oh, what a Charles say. And that was it. So I thought I wanted to pass away. That's the end of my life. My dad has just said that to a royal, to Prince Charles. But the good You've thing You've just was, closed your eyes and started singing Harry Styles yeah, again. Yeah, literally. Seven just starts playing again. I'm like, no. <laughs> Take me back to out. Disneyland. That's not me. I'm not related to him. There was a pause of silence where, like I said, I just looked at my mum and was like, we had a nice life. That was it. That's what's gone. But then he just started laughing. Prince Charles said. Yeah. Oh, good and on him. They both had a little joke together. And we're like, yes, I agree. And then he was like, Camilla, did you just hear what he said? He repeated the joke to Camilla. Brilliant. Can't make that stuff up. Not sure how that happened. Your old man yeah. is networking yeah. at the highest level. Good just really him. making cracking jokes with royals. I don't. You couldn't say that to somebody on the street and them have an oral reaction. Yet. Yeah. Prince Charles was apparently like, uh, funny, yeah. Still to this day, I'm thinking, no, why do you do that? You had quite a bit of interest like some, from other celebrities as well because Harry Styles got in touch with you at one point. Yes. Your, your old school buddy that you yeah. were in school with, but you went to the same school. He found out about me because my sister put a picture of, so I bet technically, I don't count this, but I technically met Harry three years prior in a cafe in Holmes Chapel because Harry comes back to visit his village quite rarely but he occasionally does and I managed to see him and met him for 10 seconds in a cafe but it was horrendous because I was 12 and didn't say anything um, and cried and there was a cafe that clearly said reserved no one come in yet I decided to, like I said everyone at Home Chapel knows him my neighbour across the road claims that he used to be best friends with Harry so he works around the corner and we were like, Harry's that was in the cafe. And he said, I'll take you in there because I know him. We barged into this cafe that was reserved for Harry to have a nice, peaceful thing, catching up with another friend. I just kind of stood there awkwardly behind this guy who was like, hi, Harry, mate, do you remember me? He had a little catch up and was like, this is Freya and her sister. And Harry was just kind of like, signed something, gave it to me, and then we went. And that I almost counted as no, because I always thought ever since I was eight, when I meet Harry, I'm going to declare my love for him. We're going to get married. So that's going to be it. I'm going to tell him how much he means to me. Yeah, oh, I said nothing. Oh, you are nothing. more embarrassing than your old man. Yeah, really. I just said nothing. Oh, nothing dear. at all. So I never count that as a meeting. But 
my sister reposted that video on Facebook and was like, share this for Harry to just send a message to Fred saying get well soon. Eventually got like thousands and thousands of shares and Harry found out about it, rang my head teacher, as you do, um, and said, can I send flowers to this girl, whatever? And my head teacher said, no, I'll give you her dad's number. You can ring her. So I love that you still have that authority over Harry. (laughs) He's like 26 (laughs) and ring her. He rang my dad. This is before I officially just, basically, as just as I came out of a coma, my dad picks up the phone and then Harry said, like, it's Harry. My dad said, Harry who? There's another <laughs> horrendously mortifying thing that my dad did. Um, my dad was like, Harry Styles. My dad apparently claims that he was sounding too American and he'd been spending too much time with James Corden. So there's my dad offending more people. Oh, your dad said that to Harry Styles? Yeah. My dad said, like, oh, I didn't recognise your voice. You've been spending too much time with James Corden or whatever. And Harry was kind of like, huh. <laughs> So my dad put the phone next to me on my pillow and I remember my sister being like, Harry Styles is on the phone right now. And there was me all completely high going, no, it's not. It's really not. She's like, it is. So I just went, okay, then. Harry, I love you. And he went, I love you too. And I went, that sounds like him. She's like, because it is him. And I was like, oh, well, I really do love you. And he was like, love you too. Then that was the end of the conversation. He took the phone away from me. I happily went off smiling to sleep. It's like, ah, what a nice dream. Which is awful because then when a few weeks later in hospital, I literally just remember being like, I had the weirdest dream at one point on a load of meds that Harry rang whatever. And my dad went, that that happened. And I was thinking, oh my God, what did I say? My dad said, uh, I think you just said, I love you. And I was like, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Made another great impression. So that was that. And then I actually met him August 2017. I went to my first concert back again. I was still there in my wheelchair, still very ill. I had to, like, I could not have sat up for many hours in a row at all, because especially I had awful whiplash as well. So my neck would be very strained and just in the most awful pain. That's why I couldn't sit up. Yeah, I heard that Harry was doing a Harry Styles Live at the BBC recording someone in Holmes Chapel again (laughs) managed to get me and my whole family tickets. We go there, no expectation of meeting him whatsoever, but I was wearing a jumper that had all of his tattoos on it. Great. To my parents' disgust. A security guard walking past said, oh, I love your jumper, that's Harry's tattoos, yeah. And then my dad said, well, we wouldn't have spent so much on it if it wasn't for what's happened to her now that we feel sorry for her. They kind of asked what's happened to her. My dad said, this woman runs off and 10 seconds later, she comes back with another security guard, which because I am the biggest stalker in the world, I knew that that was Harry's security guard. So he said, like, do you want to come upstairs? Harry wants to meet you. Sorry about the interruption. Make sure you have hit subscribe because next week, we head to California to speak with Jeremy Jackson. He played Hobie Buchanan alongside David Hasselhoff on the hit series Baywatch back in the 1990s. Like, if it was just weed, I'd be fine. You know, I can smoke weed and act normal. I can be so stoned and basically be sober. Dude, if I told you what chemicals I was putting in my body, if I told you I'd been up for five days and that I can barely even articulate the the linguistic abilities of my own mouth are shot. I can't even pronunciate. I'm basically mentally disabled and in a drug-induced psychosis. And I can't even tell you the truth because you guys will probably call an ambulance. 
Like if you checked my vital signs, if you saw how dehydrated I was, if you felt my heart rate right now, uh, we'd have to shut down the production. You know, when you're that self-absorbed and, 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 and self-centered and full of fear uh, and shame and guilt, you can't tell the truth, man. You feel so alone, so isolated, so detached from reality that rather than get honest and rather than admit defeat and ask for help, um, you know, I got defensive and said, you know what? Fuck this show, man. And, you know, fuck all you guys, too. I'm sick and tired of you guys, man. I don't need this anymore. I'm 18. I'm an adult. This show sucks. Quality of the writing's gone down, you know, and uh, it's just all about tits and ass now anyway. What happened to the good storylines and our ratings are going down anyway. And You need me more than I need you. I'm one of the number one characters on this show. Enjoy trying to pull off this thing without me. I'm out of here. Screw you. You know, I got million dollar movie deals on being offered. I don't need this freaking show. And I, and I walked away, dude. Walked away. That's coming out next week. Apologies again for the interruption. Now back to Freya Lewis. I can't explain what took over me in that moment. I cried. My sister was getting angry with me. My mom was telling me to pull myself together. It's not funny anymore, but I was just crying all the way up in the lift, all the way to him actually coming out and meeting me. I launched out of my wheelchair and basically pinned him up against a wall. What? Yeah. I couldn't control myself, obviously, and wouldn't let go of him. So, again, not had good experiences meeting this boy, and I feel so sorry for him. If he gets a restraining order, fair enough. How would, what, did, what was the conversation when you were... He came in, was, again, me, didn't speak. This is Just launched issue. yourself at him. I was just staring at him thinking, is this real? Again, I was still on lots of medication. I was thinking, that's the Harry Styles. He doesn't look real. He looks airbrushed. All of the thing. So my parents were talking to him. I let them talk to him, not me. Imagine the stuff your old man would have been saying. Yeah, I don't even... I remember... I don't even want to think about it. He can't remember (laughs) what he said, but I don't want to think about the things that he was saying. My dad told him about me singing Sign of the Times in the Ambulance. Oh, yeah. Well, he told him the story about how you yeah. were on your on your deathbed at the yeah. time singing his song, Sign of the Times. Harry then choked up, which then made me cry even harder. That had made Harry Styles cry. That was like, how dare I have done that? You and Harry Styles sharing a moment crying. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, to be fair. But I don't ever think about the fact that I made him cry. Yeah, so that happened. And then he sang a song for you, didn't he? He then sung Sign of the Times and they were recording it. And before he started it, he said that he wanted to dedicate the song to a very special friend that he had in the audience. And that he was like, Freya, she sat right over there. My whole family started crying. We were all just an emotional wreck. But then I remember as soon as we came out, I always told my mom that he called me a special friend, which meant more than a friend. Obviously, it really did not. Yeah, in my head, I was like, he called me special friend. No, I think that's pretty... I think that's cool, man. Because he will remember you. That's the thing. He he meets millions of people, right? I'm hoping he doesn't remember me for what I did. Yeah, so he he knows who you are. He knows you're you're a special friend. Did Ariana, did she ever go to the hospital or anything like that? She met me, like, two weeks. Look at all these celebrities queuing up to meet you. (laughs) It It was a very... Surreal. Charles, Camilla, Harry Styles, Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. It is crazy thinking back to it that I met basically, especially they were huge at the time, but think how big they are now. Like mm. insane. Ariana came 
three days before she did the One Love Manchester concert. Oh, yeah, she did the... Benefit concert, yeah, raise yeah. money. She went around and visited everyone who was injured, which was incredible of her because she was there for hours. And think about her seeing all of them. Brutal. Yeah, all kids, all whatever. And especially I was on high dependency unit at the time, so I still was on a very intense ward, was still very unwell. And she managed to come see me, and it was... I always say she's the person that made me smile again for the first time because I just think she's the most incredible person ever. And to be with me whilst I think the first thing I said, before she entered, it was a really not a convenient time. It was the first time that I started to think about Nell. So I was crying about missing Nell. And oh. Ariana decides to walk in at that moment. Really an uplifting moment for me to be like, I'm fine, I was just crying. I don't want to speak for you at this point, but you are probably feeling like a bag of shit. Yep. You probably aren't mm-hmm. looking your best. Nope. Ariana Grande is the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah, One not, of. Yep. She's doled up to the absolute eyeball. She's looking perfect. And she walks in and you're sitting there She crying. looks like she's just stepped off a runway. And I'm there with many tubes and many giant frame coming out of my arm holding my bones together i remember the one thing that was really embarrassing was that i made sure that because basically the nurses were like which which side ariana gonna, gonna come like meet her on because they had to make sure that like my catheter was on the opposite side oh, so that gosh. she wouldn't see that because i was like you don't want your idol to see that no, you don't want that yeah, yeah but there was no way that i could have looked cool unfortunately <laughs> So, yeah, she saw me in the worst possible state. Her expectations would have been, you know, at least she wasn't going there to expect that you were going to be looking a 10 out of 10 at that point. But yeah. how was that moment for you? Like, what what did she do? What did you guys chat about? So when I first said I'm thinking about that now, I think I told her, honestly, on the drugs, I was just a mean person. I think the first thing I said to her was now should have been here. That's really going to make her feel great. She started tearing up, but she held it together like an absolute professional, held my hand and was literally like, what are you talking about? She is here. And I was like, what? She's like, she's saying, oh my God, we're meeting Ariana Grande right now. She's making a joke out of it. She was like, oh, she'd be so proud of you. She'd whatever. She said the most incredible things that you would think. How did she think to say that? She was... 23 she was 23 years old she's in her early 20s she just experienced this yeah yeah i was there crying in front of her she saw me the way i was yeah she was that incredible she was quite upset at one point and i remember looking at my mom my mom gave her a hug and said it's not your fault please know that because we spoke to scooter braun who was her manager and also i think justin bieber's and many other things he was coming around with her and while she was speaking to another patient, he spoke to my parents and was saying that he's from New York and the response that he was there during 9-11 and the response that New York had was nothing compared to Manchester. He said about how incredible the community was and how much Mm. everyone come together and the effect and the aftermath of it was something that he'd never witnessed before. And he was saying that Ariana rang him up and said that she never wanted to sing again and she never wanted to go on stage again and that was it because everything was her fault and all this thing so my mum kind of straight away knew and especially the way Ariana was looking at my mum and looking at me I never want to put into words that she was thinking this is this was her fault but my mum being a mum just knew and almost mothered Ariana for that minute Mm. which was always very sweet of her but she was lovely 
I told her, again, I was so offensive. I told her that my favourite song of hers was a song called Just a Little Bit of Your Heart. And when she asked why, I said, because Harry Styles wrote it. Because he did. (laughs) So I'm meeting Ariana Grande and I'm like, I love Harry Styles though. He's great. And she was like, yeah, he's a sweetheart, but I'm here. And I was just like, yeah. But I love Harry Styles. When we talk about the um, response that Manchester had, like Mm -hmm. you, you were getting so many... Like the community was sending you so much stuff, so many letters and stuff, eh? Yeah, that was my favourite part of... I think favourite part of the day. It wasn't great, every hospital life. The part of the day that I actually looked forward to was my sister coming from school and every day there were letters and flowers and presents and everything that you can think of left on our doorstep. So my sister would come in with like a big bag of like 100 cards per day. Did that make a difference? Like, like Does that... Yeah, you up. because in your little bubble in hospital, there's me and there's my family and there's all the staff and you're completely disconnected from the outside world. Mm. So you don't know. And especially to me, it was awful for me thinking about what everyone back home was going through. Because obviously I always felt like I needed to be there as a support. They had to deal with the loss of Nell and I wasn't there to support them during the early beginning, which was always something that I always felt horrendously guilty about and I needed to be home and telling everyone that was okay. It made me realise that home was still there. This awful thing had happened to me but there was still parts of my life that was normal and I had all these incredible people back home and neighbours and things that were still going about with their normal life, taking Mm. care of my dog for me, (laughs) watering our flowers, doing all this and everything was still normal and kind of what felt like safe in Holmes Chapel, that was still there and that wasn't completely taken away from me. But I would make my sister read out every single card until uh, uh, my parents would kind of take it in turns as well. And at one point my dad was reading a card from, I think it was an old primary school teacher. And he started tearing up and like choked and couldn't finish. Literally probably all the card said was get well soon. And he started choking up. And this is where like, sassy freya came out on a i just started getting angry from her. I went, oh my god dad get a grip and all the nurses and everything started laughing so i actually told my parents about seven thousand times that they were crying to get grip which sounds really mean which it is but my family's always given me the attitude of get on with it so that's what we've kind of always had it is an amazing attitude to have and you have got on with it since that you're studying for you you're doing your acting stuff now. You've got a performance mm-hmm. coming up. You also, you did a run as well to raise money for the NHS, which led to you getting an award. But before you got the award, you got you got on Coronation Street. I've seen this video on YouTube. Uh, that video. I love I, this video. I, it is hilarious. I never want to think back to that video ever again in my lifetime. Why? Because to me... Ew. Okay, so tell me tell me what happened. Talk me through that, that day, because it's quite funny. My parents took me and my sister off of school, which was weird, and we knew something was going on, because growing up, if I was really ill and was saying I was, you know, I felt sick, whatever, my mum was one of their mums that, unless I was dying, she was not letting me miss an hour of school. So for her to be like, we're just taking you off for the day, it's like, whoa. Me and my sister got taken to a shopping centre in Manchester. We went into a random restaurant and then all of a sudden 
Corrie cast just started popping up everywhere and I thought they were rehearsing some sort of scene. We need to just be quiet and let them rehearse the scene. Um, I was freaking out about that. And then all of a sudden, they all turned to me and say, I can't remember what they said. They were like... They were in character at this point. You've watched the video. They were like, is that Frey Lewis or something? And I was like, what? Then I knew, yeah, this this camera's here. This is why my parents... Because I remember I knew something was up because my mom's the biggest Coronation Street fan ever. Sounds awful now and I feel like I've disrespected my roots. But I'm not the biggest fan anymore. Oh, hey. I know. It's because I think it's the more I've come into acting and the more I've just grown up in things. I'm like, the storylines are awful. You can't say that. You went to the Corey I know. Anyway, so these guys are like, yeah. these guys are like, oh my God, it's Freya Lewis. And they were in character. Yeah. And then they come over and get selfies with you. Yeah. It's a great, if you if you want to have a look at it, just uh, YouTube Freya Lewis Coronation no, Street. don't. It's hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. The stuff that you've done since, you, so that was for an NHS like Heroes Award, wasn't it? Because yeah. you raised, raised a lot of money for the NHS. Then you went and you did some speech. You did a speech at Westminster Abbey. That's a massive moment. Yeah. Then people stand up and clap afterwards. And they're not allowed to. Yeah. That was definitely that's a core memory. I did a speech for I think it was the NHS's seventieth birthday. Went to London. Big thing going to London as well. <laughs> Be from a little village in Cheshire. I think my parents probably told me how many people I was doing this speech in front of, but still in my head I was like, yeah, there's like fifty people. Went into Westminster Abbey was thinking, oh my God, because obviously Westminster Abbey is beautiful and extraordinary. And I just mm. went to the front, got told that I had to do like the special bow thing and walk up these steps and go and stand behind the podium and read out my speech. I did it and I was shaking. It was terrifying. Like, cannot explain how much I was like, if I mess up one word, that's... Disaster. Illegal. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I can't not do that. It's treason, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe Literally. not. <laughs> I somehow got through it and then people had done speeches before me and we were told like you're not allowed to clap something about that being sacred in the abbey or something yeah it makes sense there's yeah. silly rules like that or yeah bit, be, be, be careful like, that, but like, yeah there's yeah. silly rules about that kind of stuff like it's not tradition it's not like a venue or like an entertainment <laughs> yeah. venue yeah it's, it's a respectful a place center. yeah it's Westminster Abbey yeah, yeah. it's a big it's, deal uh, yeah it's a big deal it's a royal place so I did that and then everyone just started clapping and what went, did you say? Did you just tell me your story? Yeah, and I just, I was explaining about how thankful I was for the NHS and mm. what incredible work they'd done over the past few years. Mm. A few, 70. And I just remember looking at my parents and they were just kind of hesitantly clapping, looking at me and being like, wow, everyone's clapping. And then I can't remember who it was. I think it was actually Sophie. It's awful that I don't remember another royal that I met. I think she's the Countess. I mean, you, you've met a lot of famous people. Yeah, like, no, you like, didn't even mention Lou Tomlinson. Is it Tomlinson? Because oh, I felt, I felt, is it Tomlinson? Of course it's Tomlinson. I felt bad for being a fun girl all over again, but yeah, I met Louis Tomlinson for yeah, the Yeah, all, all these celebrities getting mm-hmm. queuing up to meet you, royals that you don't even know their names. <laughs> I th- it was definitely Sophie. I just don't know her title. I think it's the Countess of Wessex. Right. But she said to me, like, no one claps in this abbey, and you've just made me clap, and everyone else. I was like, Wow, that was a big deal then. Oh well, hopefully people that are listening to this are clapping at the moment because <laughs> like, the the strength that you're showing is unbelievable. It's such a strange thing to just hear someone be so candid and so open about your story. And hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. What and what you've been through and what you're still going through. So it's been amazing to have you on. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's no an worries. Honor. And your book, What Makes Us Stronger, is out now. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you got the again someone famous to read the audio book for you. Who who read the who did the audio book? Lucy Fallon. She's on Coronation Street. All right, mm-hmm. just drop that name in there. <laughs> Lucy Fallon. Yeah. And thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a massive favor. Share it with your mates.